If this life is driving you to drink, you sitting around wondering just what to think. Well, I got some consolation. I'll give it to you if I might. You know I don't worry about a thing, 'cause I know nothing's gonna be alright. Hi, I'm Ellie Mae O'Hagan. I am Owen Jones, and this is Agitpod, our occasional podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. To be fair, without now making I don't know, getting a bit heavy, I did have a bereavement, so it's made it a bit tricky. But that so that's that is why I was supposed to go to Tory conference, which I was actually kind of looking forward to, just to ask people how's it going. Um, but I, I didn't. I couldn't go because of a bereavement. So. so yeah, we hope and trust that our Agitpod. Faithful listeners will understand that we've obviously put a lot of things on hold. They're a lot. Um, of, they're a very loving, caring bunch. We also have Keir co-presenting today as well. Yeah, he's been really cute today. He's, he's my there. cat. For those who don't know what we're talking about, if if you don't know who Keir is, why are you even on this podcast? I don't understand. He comes up every time. Yeah, switch off. We don't need you or want you. Yeah, we we only want the five hundred loyal listeners, <laughs> five hundred faithful. Yeah, because Kim is because uh, this is the left, damn it. Yeah, exactly. We, we don't need anyone to join our movement. We don't want we don't want you traitors who don't even love and adore my hyperactive blue Burmese cat. Do you look at my Instagram for further pictures. Right now we've uh, established that uh, Owen has an Instagram full of cat pictures that he has. Um, Owen Jones eighty four somewhat crudely promoted on this podcast <laughs> we will move on so we don't have a guest today because we thought actually so many things have happened since the last podcast that we would just uh, have a chat about them with the two of us but we do have some exciting guests coming up which we don't like to reveal because in case they cancel and then we look really embarrassing so yeah um, there's no reason other than that why we're not telling you who they are but no but um donald trump is one oh we didn't oh shit he's just ah <laughs> oh Bag open, cats everywhere. Oh, embarrassing! Have, shouldn't have said that. It's a very classy podcast. It's a beautiful podcast. <laughs> beautiful. We have huge. the most incredible podcast. <laughs> no, we wouldn't have that racist sack of shit on. Um, but we do have very. What we've done here is romantic uh, mood lighting, by the way, to get to get us in the in the in the groove. We've got candles. We've turned out the lighting. Ellie's got a glass of wine. I'm just drinking a bottle of Cronenberg 1664. And that's not a product placement. Yeah, we've got a rotating leopard skin bed. It's all it's all going off. <laughs> I've, Agitpod late night. I've got my shirt open, my medallion. In fact, maybe you guys leave the room. No, that's weird. I took it too far. Let's <laughs> this has evolved on. into Let's erotica. We always said it would, though. We always I said. I told you, always said incremental erotica. So by the time it was hardcore porn, no one would have even noticed the transition. Yeah, but I said at least we do soft porn first. What we're going to start off with, since, you know, we last chatted, we've had uh, a couple of conferences. Let's kick off Labour Conference, Brighton, Socialism by the Beach. So I went up on the Sunday and it was it was astonishing because and I think it runs from well now it runs from Saturday to Wednesday, although back in my day it was Sunday to Wednesday. Yeah, well, there, there's um, women's conference on Saturday. Let's not forget. There's a little preamble. Oh, that's true. Women's conference. I actually never used to go to that. But like, um, yeah. Why do you hate women's rights so much? It's just the kind of person I am. <laughs> um, and. It was uh, last year, uh, and that. So I, th- I think you, there's two conferences um, since Corbyn came to power. Came to power, oh, a bit preemptive, preempt, preemptive. That no, but it became leader of the Labour Party. And I think the first one after he, he became leader, it was still a bit kind of a lot of the old guard were there. Yeah, I found the first one in 2015. I found it to be really awful, actually. I, really? Uh, yeah, I had a horrible time because I found it to be to be just incredibly tense. 
because the old guard were just very bitter and angry that he'd won the left which they no longer are <laughs> yeah they're fine about it now that was great um and the left were like indignant but small and the journalists who were there um were like really looking for dirt like they were really mm. i remember um being like in, in some corridor and John McDonnell and Peter Mandelson bumped into each other. And within like 10 seconds, there were 30 journalists out of nowhere. It was like a real scrum trying to film this moment of these two different sides of the Labour Party meeting and hoping to get some kind of conflict. And that I felt was what the whole conference was like when he first became leader. It was just, it was angry, angry people mm. and journalists looking to sort of screw some people over. And, and also, the leadership operation back then was was chaotic, partly because... They didn't expect to win. Well, they definitely didn't expect to win. But also, they didn't have a team really in place. Seamus Milne was still my colleague at The Guardian at the time. He hadn't joined. There was a very much a skeleton crew. And they were a lot of... I mean, it's interesting if you, you know, talk to them, because at the time, they were literally doing things which were kind of quite basic, like... Literally stuff like, do we have computers? Yeah. Uh, kind of who's doing what kind of job uh, and all the rest of it. The speech he did the first year, and this was only a few weeks after he, he became leader, and it was kind of chaotic and a bit rambly, didn't have this kind of coherence. And he hadn't really mastered things like using an auto cue. And... Wasn't that the year when he said strong message here? Yeah. And but... So for our listeners, if you don't remember what that <laughs> means, it, it, it's basically that there was a stage direction on his auto on Jeremy's auto cue that said strong message here and it meant that he had to emphasize what he was saying and but instead he went and now I something like and now I believe that strong message here yeah. and then just carried on and and, and his, yeah. his way of speaking wasn't very fluent and and I think so this was a backbencher who'd just been catapulted into doing a national yeah. party and you know what this is this is peripheral right and we'll get back to the topic in a minute but I just want to say fair play to Jeremy Corbyn because he's the same age as my dad. If you think about it, like if, if you guys all think about your dads who might be in their late 60s as well, the idea of my dad relearning all of his professional skills all over again in two years to completely change the way that he does his job. Like couldn't I couldn't do it now. Yeah I, yeah, I couldn't do it now. <laughs> I just can't imagine it. And fair play to, to Jeremy Corbyn because actually he like didn't have any of these skills because he didn't really need them. And he has, he has actually stepped up and mm. relearn all of that stuff at a very late stage in his career. And I think that's something that is quite commendable, really. Yeah, well, why don't you just give him a big round of applause right now? Go on. Go on, do it, Ellie. Do it. Go on. It's a bit sad, isn't it, though? Just like one person applauding. Yeah, go on. All right. Good. Well, that sounds worse than if you hadn't have done it. <laughs> um, so we had that. So there was that. Then there was the next year where, in 2016, where his speech markedly improved. Um, and it was it was flat though. It was after a bruising internal contest. Brexit had happened. People were a bit WTF about the future of the things they believed in. I suppose this year though was a massive loving. It was literally like a hug which lasted for four years. Everyone was just not. I don't want to sound. I mean, we'll talk about this shortly actually about you know the dangers of triumphalism and all the rest of it. But as soon as I got off the train, it was literally like, it wasn't like a victory march. No one, th despite the media, the whole kind of, oh, you didn't win, uh, despite having the biggest uh, political turnaround in British history. Energised, wasn't it? That was that was how yeah. I described there was it. It was an, energised. An, an electric sense of the political odds have been defied and they can be defied again this time to win and actually have a socialist government, which will 
um, nationalise everything. No, joking, not everything, most things. No, joking. It, uh, things are getting nationalised, by the way. Everything's no. getting nationalised. Anyway. Your face is getting nationalised. This mic is getting nationalised. <laughs> your cat. podcast is getting nationalised. Your trees outside your door. Bit weird. Um, <laughs> it's all getting nationalised. Cho- Terry's chocolate orange. That's nationalised. getting nationalised. The yep. people's orange. The people's chocolate orange. <laughs> it's not Terry's. It's actually a democratic... <laughs> the property of the people of, the, yeah. <laughs> of Britain's it's not Terry's it's the democratic socialist ownership of the workers of people of Britain anyway <laughs> it's not going to be as catchy an advert um, but anyway so it was but it will have integrity and that's what matters <laughs> <laughs> it's so yeah so I think what you got and I so I spoke at a lot of fringes and it was a sense there was, there was no kind of bitterness um, at all about you know the internal divisions which have plagued Labour for the last two years the worst internal divisions since obviously the Social Democratic Party seceded the right of the party in 1981 the worst divisions since then and in some ways the worst in the party's history were not there it was just a general sense of we succeeded in a big turnaround because of the party leadership the manifesto and the grassroots activists knocking on doors and there's a general there was a general sense of not one more heave not just like I'll just keep doing that but a sense of this is doable and it will it 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 will be a massive departure from you know the neoliberal consensus in the same way in the 1970s the post-war consensus established by Attlee of of state intervention nationalization high taxes on the rich strong unions that that began to disintegrate and i think there was a general sense at this conference that the old order in this country is falling to pieces all around us. And it's not a case of just wait for it to disintegrate. There's a powerful and coherent alternative. And what Jamie Corbyn's speech said, and I thought the line, which I think was the big takeaway, was 2017 may well have been the year politics caught with the crash of 2008. Because back then, we there was a lot of shadow for it, wasn't on the left. The bankers are plunged into disaster, market ideology being discredited, the political representatives of this system will, you know, they're finished. And that didn't happen. Instead, we got austerity and the scapegoating of migrants and xenophobia and bigotry. But there was a general sense, actually, now, nine years after the crash, ten years after the crisis began, that actually this consensus this year ended and the Tories know it. They know this consensus is over. And we actually, if this hadn't have happened and Corbyn never become a leader, this would have been the worst missed opportunity in, in history because the appetite is there and there was a general sense we can exploit it. I think that was... You know. Yeah, and I think what I took away from it is um, over the last couple of years, uh, if any of you follow my writing, you'll know that I've been quite critical of Please Jeremy do. Corbyn. Yeah, please do. I need the hits. Um, I haven't. I've always been completely loyal and in no way have I ever doubted <laughs> the, com- the ability to turn, ar- yeah, <laughs> turn around, to, to turn this around. Well, we've, we've covered this. I was quite, I was quite nervous about um, speak. I spoke at several fringes that the world transformed, which is momentum. And if you remember, momentum is the grassroots um, activist movement to support Jeremy Corbyn. And we had a couple of, we had um Emma and Joe on from Momentum last episode. Um, and they held a festival at conference called The World Transformed, um, which was a really great idea because um, it's actually, it actually can be quite hard to get into conference as a member because um, you have to go as a delegate with your CLP, which is your kind of local Labour branch. But The World Transformed was basically anybody could buy a ticket. 
So you, you don't even have to be a Labour member to go. So it really opened out the conference to ordinary people. And honestly, if you're considering next year, where's the conference next? Is it Liverpool? Yeah, Liverpool. Is. So if you're considering next year... The great, one of our great cities. Yeah, our great... Well, I lived in Liverpool for seven years. I love Liverpool very much. Did you? You've never told me that. Shut up. I consider it a second home. I am a supporter of Liverpool FC. But let's not talk about football because Wales just got knocked out of the World Cup and I'm... Wah, 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 wah. But anyway, um, yeah, so if you... Next year in Liverpool, if you're near Liverpool, I really recommend that you go to World Transformed because it is really very interesting and, and lots of fun. What sort of things do they talk about? Come on. Well, this remind. is what I'm saying is that we... So I did a couple of fringes. One of them that I recall was I did a fringe about um, the media, the left and media, and do we need a new media? And I sort of talked about my experiences of being a left-wing journalist in the media and there was a question and answer session at the end of it and I was very worried that people because obviously lots of people who went there are very familiar with which journalists think what and I was very worried that people would basically denounce me and have a go at me for having criticized Jeremy Corbyn in the intervening years but actually what I found was that people were just in incredibly supportive not just towards me, but towards each other in the room and towards everybody on the panel and very kind and very welcoming. And there was a real sense of togetherness. And, you know, the the night that I got that the most was the, at the end of conference, the world transformed, had a big party. And so Weto Kinch, the jazz musician I'm a big fan of, um, came along and played a set. And um, he, he did a set, and then after that, there was a, a group called Horsemeat Disco that did a great uh, disco set. And um, Soweto Kinch was just dancing in the crowd as though he was just one of the crowd, and Ian Lavery was dancing in the crowd. Who's that? He is uh, an MP for... I know who he is. I just, if Ian Lavery's listening, he's like, you cheeky bastard. Well, I can't do his accent. He's no, I can't. The... All I can say is, Labour, what Labour? But I can't do his we accent lost other than the that. East no. Sorry, listeners. that was a terrible attempt. I'm sorry, Ian, if you're listening. He's a Labour MP who a lovely had, man. I like, I'm a big fan of Ian Lavery. He's such a good guy. Massive fan of Ian Lavery. He's a he's a former miner. Very he was in the miner strike, uh, and he's he's the kind of guy you want to be a Labour MP. That's what yeah. I think. And but, no, a leap. I can't do it. No, okay. uh, but he's <laughs> he's 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 one of the top team anyway yeah. in Labour. So he was there. Emily Thornbury was there. Well, there we are. Um, Ed Miliband was there. What? Did, did he, oh, can I just? He did a pub quiz, and um, my cat Kia featured. Really? There were, do you know there were queues around the street to get into that? Well, it was Ed Miliband, obviously. Yeah. Don't listen to his viral yeah, podcast. Don't listen to his podcast because apparently it's a viral success and it had a double page spread in the Evening Standard. So we hate you, Ed Miliband. Yeah, and Jeff Lloyd. Podcast. We hate you both. If you've got it downloaded on your phone, you need to set that phone on fire. <laughs> Burn the phone. Burn it. No, we mean it. Seriously, burn it. Um, but yeah, like and this this party was just like it was so much fun. It was one of the funnest parties I've ever been to, and it was because the atmosphere was so friendly and everybody was there together as an equal. Like it didn't feel as though Ed Miliband was like this really like important, well-known politician. It just felt like he was one of us. And you know, it, like it's the same with Soweto Kinch. Like at first, he was like the talent on stage playing music but then when he finished his set he just came downstairs and danced with everybody else it was like a really great experience and ended conference on this like wonderful high and of course jeremy's corbyn speech was excellent i think as well i was really impressed i, I do think i mean that that's what i meant by talking about 2015 where it it, it wasn't a very good speech at all and the the, the shift in del just delivery i mean we shouldn't really talk about this 
as socialists, talking about the grand arc of history and struggle, talking about the way he delivered a speech. But it was it was done very well indeed. But it also, what it articulated was the idea of the political consensus of this country has now collapsed. This whole idea of the centre ground, as it's been defined, which has meant in practice what is seen as politically acceptable and permissible in Britain, which is deregulation, privatisation, limited role of the state in the economy, weakened trade unions, lower taxes on the rich, um, the, ne- the neoliberal consensus, to call it a sexy name, that has, that has ended and that now Labour have a genuine alternative, which, which, which is an alternative to the systemic failure of a system which has delivered the longest squeezing wages since according to the uh, the IFS the Institute for Fiscal Studies the 1750s yeah. and Andy Haldane from the Bank of England said that our economy has more in common with the economy of the 1750s than the 1950s and 1750s is well rubbish a housing crisis a lack of affordable housing for millions of people and good decent housing I'm sure many of you listening probably have endured the consequences and know I, I yeah, have I have um, whether it be uh, whether it be the fact that most people in poverty are in work earning their poverty. I use that phrase a lot, but it's true. Uh, the lack of basic work is right. Zero hours to bogus self-employment from delivery onwards. Um, young people having a worse lot on life than their parents. The decimation of youth services, saddling of debt of young people with debt. I could go on. You know all of this. But the whole point of the speech was to say that, you know, the, the, the dogma, the ideology of there is no alternative has disintegrated. Yeah. It hasn't settled There's in. There's a, a really, a really great woman that we both know, um, and actually, it would actually be great to have her on the podcast uh, called Sirio Canyos Donay. She's very good. She's she's with um, Podemos, which is the radical leftist political party in Spain. Um, we should get her. We haven't actually talked about this, but we should we should get her on to talk about the yeah, crisis Sir- in Spain. But no, if you're listening, Sirio. We'd love to have you on. Yeah, but Sirio. So I love Sirio. Sirio. Uh, so I in for for the both. Spanish election campaigns in December 2015 and June 2016. I went round Spain to support the mid speeches, but she was the translator. She she come on stage. I do one sentence. Go, yeah, come on Spain, and then she translates. Yeah, viene España. That's very good. I did translate. And she's ap- but she's amazing and absolute inspiration. But I did, I think, me and another comrade kind of. Uh, well, it became a thing in the last Spanish election where we were on literally a road trip around Spain, the Basque Country and elsewhere, um, trying to build up support, rally support for Podemos, si se puede, as the phrase goes, that means, yes, we can. But she, um, uh, we came, we always went, Sirio, Sirio, Sirio. And I just can't every time anyone says her name now. But she's absolutely amazing. She's a, a, a prominent activist in the international Podemos in, uh, kind of, you know, thing. And... Uh, and one uh, of the smartest people I know. So I smart, so perceptive. Um, but, you know, and what's happened in Spain, you can't divorce from what's happened here. It's a separate... We will have this podcast about Spain. I think that's a really good idea. Yeah. Which Ellie's just come up with, so... She, On the hoof. So let's see how that goes. But, I mean, it just shows that what's happening in Spain is so linked to what's happening here. And actually, the Corbyn phenomenon and the Podemos phenomenon both learn from each other, I think. But she said... So she said to me, I saw her a couple of days ago, and she said to me something that I think sums up Jeremy's speech and sums up the political situation that we're in at the moment. And I'm going to be using it over and over again again because it's so good she said that what has happened is uh the invisibility cloak neoliberalism has been taken off and suddenly it's standing in the middle of the room and has to justify why it's there 
And that's where we're at at the moment, is that suddenly this thing that seemed like it was so second nature to our existence, this ideology, that I would say is greater than neoliberalism, actually. I would say it's not just neoliberalism, it's something bigger than that, that we've, um, that we've been living under, that you know, has social, liberaliz social liberalism incorporated into it as well. So it's more than just an economic ideology. And basically, we just accepted that as second nature for like 20 years. And what's happened in the last couple of years is that all of a sudden it isn't second nature anymore. It's that it, it's now become an ideology that's contested yeah. and it now needs to justify itself. And we can see in Theresa May's speech, which we'll move on to now because we're going to start talking about Tory conference. Although quickly, just before we did, because I, I, I think you'd, I'd like... I think you'd like this mention as well. Mark Fisher. Yeah, a good friend of mine and Owens who sadly he, passed away. He, he did. He, he took his life at the beginning of this year and he was somebody who articulated this idea of capitalist realism. And, and, and what that meant was basically the way that what we've become accustomed to is second nature until relatively recently, and it's so tragic he never lived to see it yeah that the nostrums of of capitalist ideology became second nature and you know the idea of any form of alternative this idea of um he was quoting somebody else but it is easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism so hegemonic was capitalist ideology and i think that has begun to disintegrate quite rapidly not just in britain but in other countries and it and it and, and i i plead with people listening look up mark fisher uh, yeah, look at his, his work his book capitalist realism i think is one of the most important books that's been written in the last 20 years and sadly i think that mark's work on mental health is one is some of the most important work i've seen produced on that issue and i agree with you i i wish he he was here now to see where we were at because it was the world that he always talked about and the world that he actually never stopped believing in we'd do a great podcast with him wouldn't we yeah, yeah we would but, you know, um, in, in one of the fringe meetings at Labour Party conference, I actually mentioned Mark and mentioned how I'd liked him to be here. And um, it got a really big round of applause. So obviously his, his legacy lives on. On that note, let's move on to Tory conference. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I, well, I asked a journalist. I've got a friend who's... Um, works for a Tory paper and I, who shall remain nameless I asked him was it as bad as it seemed and he was like oh it was much worse it was so much worse I, I mean yeah I, I, I can go for reasons aforementioned um, but I, I think I mean it was, I went in I went in 2015 and 2016 the one I went to in 2015 which was weeks after Jamie Corbyn became leader and I went to this fringe meeting and Oliver Cooper who was a, a senior Tory youth activist uh, and he said uh, he, sp he was, it was it was something organised by Bright Blue, which is supposed to be a kind of liberal wing of, of Toryism. But he said he stood up and said, "Well, first of all, I would like to thank Owen Jones for his fantastic sterling effort in helping to get Jerry Corbyn elected as leader of the Labour Party." And the room went, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah!" <laughs> Literally, they did the yars and they did a big applause. And I, I did. I was going to do a video like I normally do at Tory conference, asking people, "Did you join the Labour Party in 2015 to destroy?" <laughs> how did it go Labour forever do you vote for Jamie Corbyn yourself actually in 2015 how do you feel about that um, but, but, but obviously you didn't do that but um, it, by all accounts we know who were there it was it was it was very beyond flat it was people who and, and no very poorly attended as well that's what I heard very poorly attended 
I mean, they, the, um, the, con- the conference hall was empty a lot of the time. You could see a festering corpse of a party. Tragic, really. They're, they're such a great bunch. But, <laughs> yeah, um, I really feel them. <laughs> I really pity them after all the great they've done. Couldn't happen to a nice group of people. Mind-shutting so-and-sos. Um, with but Theresa May's speech, I mean, we can't not not mention yeah. it. Can we say something so, profound about it? I don't know. I mean... We, we, me and Owen, we watched it separately, but we were communicating over WhatsApp and our messages were basically just, oh God, oh my God, it's got worse. Oh my God, is it still happening? (laughs) It was just, it was, yeah, I, like, I feel like my insides folded into themselves. Like, I'm going to say it. I'd be amazed if any of you listening to this hadn't heard it. So first of all, she, uh, what was the first thing? So it was the protester that was the first thing. Yeah, so what happened, and this was actually, by the way, um, a, a childhood friend of, of, of my best friend, would you believe? Uh, not that I'm, is that going to end up a splash in the, no, Wendy. Uh, this was, not that I know this person, I don't know no, this person No, no, you all. didn't know that it was going to happen. No, I didn't know it was going to happen, but it, it, was, it was a friend of, uh, you know, I, I was best man at the wedding of, of uh, not him, the guy who did it, but uh, his, his childhood friend. And I think what seems to have happened, by the way, is that, and this is my theory, I want to hear your theory. So basically, just for those who didn't watch, I mean, you know what happened. Basically... Obviously, he handed the P45 in such a way that was very clear on television. She then accepted it and put it on that the That gr- was the worst thing, was that she took it. And put it on the ground. And what made me laugh is my favourite bit. And I can't stop saying it. And I don't know if it's just me. But she was talking about Labour having a run on the pound. That would be if Labour came to power. But because she was putting the P45 on the ground, as she was putting it on the ground, she said Labour will mean a run on the ground, which was just really I mean, funny. That, yeah, that's just like a tiny... Like like a tiny microcosm of the whole yeah. embarrassment. Then, that was, then, but yeah. I think the stress of it then caused her partly to lose her voice. Yeah, but I, yeah. then I think what happened, and there seems a lot of evidence for this, that the fact that people kept doing um, standing ovations um, to try and get her through it and disguise the fact she was having, well, what is the worst political speech <laughs> in, 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 in human history, that caused tremors on the ground and the poorly assembled letters in the background saying i don't know a future a, a country, country for, that works for everyone I think, for everyone like um and it was probably because of tory cuts that they had to cut back <laughs> no but <laughs> they then start to fall off because all the tremors caused so it caused the chain reaction and obviously it became a metaphor for a disintegrating uh leadership that literally the set starts to fall apart and she has nothing to say there anyway it writes itself yeah. doesn't it for those of you who don't know um there were some journalists afterwards who were uh, um basically arguing that people on the left just sort of show sympathy for Theresa May because, you know, anyone can have a cough, la, 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 and, like, we should kind of feel sorry for her and make a big deal out of, like, the fact that we have sympathy for her and all this kind of stuff. But I feel like that misses the point because, obviously, anyone can have a cough and, you know, I don't think anybody is blaming Theresa May for having a frog in her throat. In fact, I recently had the same thing. And Did you get it off Theresa May? I got it and I was like, oh my God, I'm doing a Theresa. But anyway, but I think the reason why that speech was so disastrous is not that she had a cough, but it's because it became a symbol of everything that mm. is going on anyway with her, pem- her premiership. You know, I realised afterwards, like, I feel like it couldn't have gone any other way. Of course she was going to have a speech like that because it's been a disaster overall. It, exactly, it fits in that narrative. I mean, what I found frustrating is a former... So I, I went on Radio 2 to make the case why you just shouldn't feel sorry for her at all. 
And a former advisor to Blair and Brown uh, accused me of being Katie Hopkins as a consequence. Oh, I know. And it's this idea that, what, advocating what is de facto genocidal-style hatred against migrants, calling them, uh, and refugees, sorry, no, refugees specifically, cockroaches, and talking about a final solution against Muslims, a tweet she deleted, that is equivalent to saying that we shouldn't feel pity for the most powerful person in Britain, that that's somehow comparable. My argument was, under Theresa May, when she was Home Secretary, gay refugees, gay and bisexual refugees, had to film themselves having sex with their partners to prove they were gay slash bisexual to avoid being deported to countries that would torture them and persecute them and, and possibly murder them and at least in prison, and whether it be disabled people suffering the cuts that she has supported and championed as a cabinet minister and is now implementing, the cuts uh, to in-work benefits, the rolling out of universal credit, which will hammer low-paid workers and others in particular, all of these, these are people we should feel, not pity for, because pity is a degrading concept in any case, that we should we should certainly feel soli solidarity solidarity with, but the idea of the most powerful person in Britain who tried to wipe out her opposition in a cynical partisan general election she promised repeatedly not to hold, and has left this country an international laughingstock, and who's implemented policies which are literally, as you listen to this, inflicting misery on people. Yeah, there are people sitting in detention centres at the moment, like so, prisoners, who haven't committed any crimes because of Theresa May's policy. I interviewed a guy called Issa Mwazu who came here seeking asylum because he claimed that Boko Haram, who, which is the organisation that kidnapped lots of Nigerian schoolgirls that you might have read about, he came here claiming that they were trying to kill him. Uh, he, she decided when she was Home Secretary to deport him he went on hunger, hunger strike. I interviewed him when he was four stone. He was being fed through a tube. He was so exhausted he could barely talk to me. He couldn't stand up. He was lying on a mattress on the floor and eventually he was deported and dumped on Lagos Airport in Nigeria. Now... Theresa May had a cough though, so... Exactly. But it, it, the thing is, is that of course you can feel sorry for Theresa May for having a cough and also think those things are wrong. But the question is, how much emphasis is each one given? And I feel that a lot of the people who are insisting that we feel sorry for Theresa May, they didn't interview that guy. They don't talk about the detention centres that are happening, in, you know, that are, that are working in this country under her jurisdiction when she was Home Secretary. They're not interested in the fact that she wanted to create an intentionally hostile environment for migrants in this country, which has led to children not getting a proper education. Sending people, vans around saying, go home, yeah, which is something spat in people's faces. afraid of using the NHS in case they get, you know, their documentation is questioned. It's not about, should we feel sorry for her or shouldn't we? It's about the proportional, the proportionality of it. The fact that we're, we're made to feel as though we're callous if we laugh at her having a cough. But I don't feel as though there's any pressure on me to feel callous if I don't pay attention to migrants. In fact, the opposite is true. When I, whenever I've written about migrants in this country, which I have two or three times, not that many times, I've often felt like it's kind of battling against the tide to get any people to pay, to people to pay any attention to it. And, and that, to me, is the issue here is, you know, it's not, do we feel sorry for her or don't we? It's about, well, who is getting the majority of our attention here? Is it this white, British-born, incredibly wealthy woman who's got, like, more power, the most power in this country, other than possibly the Queen? Or is it these extremely vulnerable people 
who are discriminated against because of where they're born, because of their skin color, who are fleeing war and persecution a lot of the time, or just poverty a lot of the time, which, you know, like we shouldn't discount that as, as something that you need to flee. It's about who we give our support to and who we give our solidarity and sympathy to, I think, is, is the issue. Amen. I think one thing, though, we need to be careful of because we're, you know, it's easy to ridicule the plight of the Conservatives who, let's not forget, a few months ago, you know, the whole narrative was they're going to wipe out the Labour Party forever. They're yeah, gonna... I mean, in April, which was, what are we on now, October, April, yeah, five months a different ago, they political were, era. They were 24 points ahead Double. in the poll. Yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't good, was it? And obviously the inspiring alternative Labour offered um, and the fact Jamie Corbyn could have unedited access the the mainstream media uh, the the broadcast media who then had to have neutrality or impartiality rules imposed upon them for an election period and the and the role of the grassroots activists that turned it all around and made a historic a historic turnaround but i think we do need to be careful don't we because what i think has happened is if we look at the polling on labor is on average consistently ahead but only slightly and again during a general election campaign I mean, look, Labour started on, what, half what the Tories had last time, another general election campaign, where instead of having a defensive campaign, Labour's on the def on the offensive in in constituencies like Boris Johnson, who's majority halved, and Ian Duncan-Smith, who's hanging by thread. You know, it's, it, you can see how Labour could win a majority, or at least, you know, be able to form a government. But the Tories have solidified around 38 to 40% of the vote. And I think, notwithstanding how we we should be skeptical about polling which we should be i think what they've done is they've they've got an anti-socialist block of the electorate an anti-corbyn block a block of britain who are disproportionately older who who don't who are desperate not to have corbyn come to power and however incompetent and shambolic and embarrassing and humiliating this government is they will vote for the conservatives no matter what in order to stop corbyn and the labor party and a radical socialist government coming to power and we do need to talk about that, I think, as a movement, uh, because, you know, the danger is, and as someone at the moment, I'm doing this unseat campaign with momentum to target what are now marginal seats like Boris Johnson, Ian Duncan Smith and others, Amber Rudd and whatever, and whoever, sorry. But there is a danger that we just think, and I'm not saying anyone listening to this thinks this is in the bag, but actually, Labour needs, I would say, a significant majority to guarantee the success of its radical programme, not least because of dissenting MPs, not least because any government that comes to power hemorrhages support. So we need to build, actually, a movement that guarantees a very significant majority for Labour. But at the moment, the Tories have such a cemented... It's like a Cold War box of, like partly generationally of in the electorate have formed and and we need a strategy to deal with it. I don't know what you think about that, Ellie. No, I totally agree. I think like um what we discussed earlier, the centre has died, uh the centre has collapsed and that that is not going to be reversed. They might hope that it's going to be, but things happen in politics for a reason. It's because the circumstances that make them happen. And so you can't people don't just change their minds. Things just don't just reverse for no reason. So that, I think, is, is a condition of politics that's going to last for about 30 or 40 years now that there's not going to be a centre. And what that means is, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that as a, as a, in a triumphalist way, because I'm not of the centre, I'm, I'm left wing. I don't believe in this kind of um, third way kind of Blairism ideology that's kind of um, been dominant for the last 20 years. So obviously for me, I'm glad that the left wing is getting some 
um, a lot more traction at the moment. But the flip side of the center collapsing, this is why I don't think it's necessarily like all good, is that it polarizes the electorate. It means that people either gravitate towards the left in a very definitive way, or they gravitate towards the right. And so I, I put Labour's um, poll lead, but the Tories poll stability, I guess you could say, um, down to that, that actually we've got a very polarised electorate and we've got two sides who would never dream for voting for the other side and maybe 10% in the middle that's movable. And what worries me at the moment is I think we need to remember that when the centre dies, it doesn't guarantee automatic victory for the left. It could still tip in either direction. Mm. If the Tories get their shit together, which they love to do because there's nothing that the Tories like more than power then that could really spell disaster for us. That could really be difficult for the left. And I think because the electorate is polarised as well, I think that what the Tories need to do to get into power is to adopt quite a stridently right-wing programme and a programme that would involve indulging the culture wars that you see in America around issues like race, around issues like abortion, you know, those kind of things that, you know, are the battlefield on, on which politics is fought in America. I can imagine the Tories doing quite well by adopting a programme that's kind of anti-abortion, anti-feminist, that is racist and isolationist, you know, like a little bit kind of Trump in nature, but without any of the kind of buffoonery. And... Um, not, so not only is that bad for us because I think that actually quite a lot of people would go for that, but that gives us something really toxic that we then need to fight against. So at the moment, what we're seeing is someone like Theresa May, who in the same speech will say how much she likes free markets and then, and then also say that she's going to introduce price controls on energy. So what that means is at the moment, the Tories are quite incoherent because yeah, exactly. they're being leaned on by their donors mm -hmm. who are free marketeers, but they kind of know they need to change direction to win. So they're kind of trying to do both. If they get their shit together, we are in big trouble. That's a battle for us. I, I think you're, you're spot on about that in terms of, because I do think it's a bit like the post-war consensus collapsing in the, in the 70s, but the Tories are stuck between thinking, oh shit, like we need to basically double down on free market ideology. We've not sold it properly. We need to make the ideological case for the... Uh, I think for, they're being pressured by people that... Yeah, I think that's true. But also, they well. do believe it, I think. I think, you know, it's yeah. easy in politics to think, ah, oh, you know, people are just... I'm not saying you think this, but I mean, I'll, I'll just hide hands. But I think they do believe that in the abstract. But then also to go, well, actually, you know, others would go, well, this ideology has lost public consent because of material reality and circumstances that people are enduring and therefore we do need to start talking about state intervention and actually where th you know and that's what mayism you know we, we can ridicule theresa may and it's not that hard to do and this government and all the rest of it but they were onto something when theresa may became prime minister and she spoke about the great injustices on the on the steps of Downing street she, she was trying and her advisors to tap into a mood which had shifted in this country, which she recognised, which David Cameron and George Osborne didn't understand, which was there was a move against an order which had produced massive insecurity as a systemic, not flaw, but as a systemic end, because it was the idea of you make people feel insecure and that will make them innovate and, and aspire. And, and she understood that and she tried to tap into it. So they've ended up there with the worst of both worlds in some senses, because they're saying, 
well, this system isn't working. We need to do things like price caps, which aren't in practice. You know, they're half measures. Building council housing, 5,000 a year is an insult. It's not even, doesn't even make up for the full since New Labour, which was had a terrible record itself. Um, but at the same time, making the case for free market ideology. So it's inconsistent and incoherent, and it doesn't deal with the underlying problems, which is the insecurity bred by the system has led people to under 65, if they're under 65 years of age, not to demonise older people, but uh, in, it, it, that wasn't the point I was making. But people who are, let you know, Labour has a big lead because they are their lives are defined by insecurity because of the current system. The Tories understand that, some of them, but they're torn between we can't depart from our fundamental principles and if we do, it will legitimise our opposition's arguments, which is true, and at the same time, we need to double down on our dogma and ideology. Otherwise, so they're really torn. And I, I, you know, my sympathy is extended to them. Not really. I hope they're destroyed ideologically and politically. But <laughs> I do understand their dilemma. And I don't, I, if I was a Tory advisor, I don't, I don't know what I'd say. To them. Yeah, I think like we need to remember as well that it, it was only in 2016 that a kind of isolationist, reactionary, racist platform on Brexit did actually result in an in, an insurgency like actually there was a really big high turnout of um there was a really high turnout of voters for leave so this stuff does work you know and if the tories adopted that wholesale we would be in trouble i think so i think yeah i think like we should celebrate how well we're doing and keep going with that but not be complacent it's it, we haven't won yet she is a constant source of wisdom so Give her a round of applause wherever you are. Cars, homes, don't offices. Take, if you're in a car, please don't take your hands off the steering wheel, though. That no, is a safety hazard. No, don't. Maybe you're, I was going to say, you're having a romantic evening in. If you are, <laughs> Why are listen you to, this, to this, never do that right. again. If you are, if you're doing that, you're sick. Right. What we're going to do now, before we depart, partly because our amazing producer, Alex, has better things to do with his life than listen to us rambling. Yeah, we've talked a lot today. There's I a know. lot to cover. There's a lot that's happened. Too much, if last... anything, but he, he does have... Also, we have been getting messages from people asking why we haven't done a podcast. So there you go. You've got an extra long one. Today. Yeah, but he's newly married and has a cat for a start to look after. So sorry about that, Alex. Do get in touch offering him sympathy and commiserations. Right. It's amazing so many people listen to this, by the way. And um, despite some of the babblings, particularly of me, Ellie's much wiser. Um, obviously, there are running costs. But also, what we'd like to do this podcast is to support causes we really believe in. Uh, so we, what we're, we've been asking for is donations, not just for the running costs and to support this podcast. But what I want to do is support a charity called Lawa, which supports women from refugee backgrounds. Um, many of them from Chile, and for me, that's very close to my heart because in the 1970s, my parents took in refugees from Chile um, who fled Pinochet's dictatorship, and one of the families they took in was a woman whose husband had been murdered and she'd been raped, and you know they looked after her and their two kids, and tragically, she was very traumatised, and she ended up, this was in Sheffield, she ended up taking her own life. Um, so this is something very very close to me but lara what they do they've helped thousands of women escape abusive partners it's about supporting women who suffer from the pandemic of uh, male violence against women and girls uh, 1.4 million women suffer domestic violence every year so for me it's very important that we support this charity they really struggle a lack of resources 
Um, so if you donate to this podcast, it will help the running of the podcast, but it will also, um, a third of everything you donate will go to this under-resourced charity um, and it will mean a huge, huge amount because they really, really do need that support. Yeah, and um, just to add to that, the reason why we picked them is because I used to work in the same building as them um, a couple of years ago. And I and I so I know a bit about them and I've seen their offices and um, they really are skin. And in 2015, they actually nearly closed because they have so few resources so what we wanted to choose a charity that where your funds would really, really make a difference. And with Lawa, everything that you can give will make such a massive difference to them. Um, you're supporting vulnerable women from refugee backgrounds, from ethnic minority backgrounds, and, and primarily from Latin American backgrounds who have escaped violent partners and may be suffering from mental health issues and could be facing homelessness. And your money will help support them to um, get shelter, to get help and to transition to a life without fear and without persecution. So we really hope that you, you might consider giving to the podcast so that we can give um, a portion of the money, a third of the money to go to Lawa. So you just go to www.agitpod.com. But we'd also like to thank all the people who've already sent in funds to support Agitpod. And now to the tune... Mm of our beloved Benny Hill. This is a British podcast after all. We will now give a special thanks to each and every one. Dr. A. McClellan. Matthew D. Gwynn. Bella Goncharovitz. Stephen Haynes. Jordan Taylor. Jamie McMillan. Rosalind Holbright. Ishan Karuna. Rory Pryor. Richard Smith. J.M. Corliss. Adrian Panett. Steve Cochran. Joseph Hussey. M.T. Brown. Penelope Miller. Ryan Leon. Ian Wright. Giles Bridge. Luke Gething. Chris Smith. John Woodhouse. Jason Avgerinos. Jane Dostek. Sophie Payne. Elaine Gallagher. Tom Pugh. J.M. Ash. David Jones. Gareth Daffid Pierce. Cameron Wedgworth Andrew Bass Michael Ormerud Charlie McNamara Mr M Sellers L Clark Richard Fox Emma Goddard Rosemary McCabe Mr C.S. Kinney Ian McKay Kate Robson Thomas E. Kenny Mrs Heather L. Bowler Michael Hall Andrew Carr C.W. McDevitt Stuart Mills Miss Eleanor Dyke Jack Smith Martin T Michelle Lincoln Michael Hall Thank you one and all Thank you very much. You're beautiful people. And And we're very sorry if we pronounce your names wrong. I'm not sorry. This is your own fault for having the name you have. Well, I am, because I'm a better person than Owen. That's true, buddy. Objectively, 10 out of 10 people think that. It's been an absolute uh, honour and privilege. We're very glad to be back. Yeah, and we'll do this. We, uh, you know, notwithstanding personal disasters, we will uh, be doing this more regularly. And also, we've got some, we genuinely do have some amazing guests. So stay tuned and keep subscribing and we will be dropping some great things into your feed as soon as we can. Uh, So love you, Con Babes. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Bye.